Welcome to the Masters of Data podcast, the podcast that brings the human to data. And I'm your host, Ben Newton. IOT, the Internet of Things. Your refrigerator and your toaster connected to Twitter, right? No, it's so much more than that. Smart Things is so much more than that. Our guest today, Scott Vlamick, co-founded Smart Things with six other guys in the spring of 2012. Their goal was to make your world, your house, smarter. In the fall of 2012, they raised over $1.2 million in one of the biggest campaigns ever on Kickstarter. And only two years later, in 2014, they were acquired by Samsung for $200 million. That's pretty amazing. I caught up with Scott at Sumologic's user conference, and we talked about his journey and about the challenges of running devices in that most private of spaces, your home, and how do you maintain trust with your customers. So without any further ado, let's dig in. Welcome, everybody, to the Masters of Data podcast, and I have with me here today Scott Vlamick. From, uh, he's a co-founder and VP of engineering at Samsung SmartThings. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. You know, like always, I always start these things by just understanding a little bit of your background. So, I mean, how did you get into how did you get into technology? I uh, have always been interested in technology, and and before starting Smart Things was really just a cloud server developer. You know, interested in all sorts of technology, and and really just focusing on building things that uh, I wanted to see exist in the world. Did you did you come from a computer science background? Are you kind of self-taught, or what was that? Like? I did not. I was a, an aerospace engineering major really? in college. Taught myself to program. You know, at that time in the late 90s, the internet was booming. And, and there weren't a lot of jobs in aerospace either. <laughs> not, not, not a ton of jobs in aerospace. And there were a lot of jobs in the computer industry. And so taught myself first HTML and Perl, and yeah. from there, Grew into Java. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was disappointed to find out that apparently Perl is now an old man's programming language. <laughs> I was like, I thought I was cool because I programmed Perl. No, no, no. 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 It's, it's Python now, or something. I don't know. I'm not cool yes. enough to know. <laughs> you know, we were talking about you had a big group of co-founders to start Smart Things. I mean, tell me a little bit about that story. I mean, why why did you guys start Smart Smart Things? What was the problem you're trying to solve? There, there, there are seven of us, which is a large founding group. As I mentioned before. We had a good overlapping set of skills and interests where we complemented each other really well yeah. without really overlapping in what we wanted to do. And so it worked out really well for us. And the birth story of Smart Things is one of the founders had a cabin in the mountains that he owned with his in laws, and they lost power, and the pipes froze and burst. Mm. And they, nobody was around at the time. They didn't find out for weeks later. So, you know, a couple weeks of cleanup and fixing it. And, you know, he was sitting on, the, after, after cleaning up the house and, and fixing it up, sitting on the couch, reading on his Kindle after just downloading a book, looking at his phone and realizing that he's connected with all of his friends from the coast, but couldn't get an update from his house to say that the temperature was too cold or that the pipes were bursting or anything along those lines because their neighbor has keys to the place and could have turned the water off if they had only known. And so from that, starting to think about that, we started researching different ways of knowing information about your, about your home and investigating different sensors 
for what you could do with your home. And from that, we decided there was something there. We were right on the cusp of having the right technology to make that a reality and decided to start after some proof of concept work. I decided to start a company. And, when, and you guys did a, was it a Kickstarter campaign? Was it? Yeah, so we started in uh, April of 2012. Launched Kickstarter in August, I believe, of that year. We seemed to touch a nerve on what people wanted to do and were interested in. And we had a very successful Kickstarter campaign. At that point, it was one of the most successful ones, right? It was, it was... Yeah, yeah. I think second most successful technology project at the time after the Pebble Watch. One thing that kind of occurred to me when you guys did that, do you, do you feel like it gave you a stronger connection to your customers really early on? Because, I mean, that's super important when you're starting a company. It absolutely did. You know, we, we had a group of people who were focused on supporting the campaign for Kickstarter. And so, you know, we tried to be really engaged in the forums. If people asked questions, we were right there to answer yeah. them. And really trying to foster that back and forth to make sure that we were understanding the needs of our customers and what they wanted to do. And that has permeated the culture of the company throughout since then. That experience really drove us to then also have a deep attachment to our community. You know, as a platform, we rely on other people to write code that runs on the platform to provide value to our customers, ultimately. And so following the Kickstarter campaign, we also set up our own community forums for having those conversations so that our developers, our third-party developers that were working on the platform could communicate with each other and they felt like they had an outlet, a way to reach us directly as well. And so we started our developer engagement story right from the start, making sure that we had uh, developer evangelists on the platform interacting with people in the community forums right away. Oh, that's, that's really cool. So did you, and so what, what early on, was it more about connecting to, to third-party devices as well? I mean, what was that kind of, was it, was it really more about providing a kind of a hardware platform for people to, to hook into or? Yeah, we've always, I, I think one of the things that SmartThings did differently compared to others in the market at the time is we really saw ourselves as a software company, a cloud computing company, not a hardware company, not yeah. a device manufacturer. Our goals as technologists and founders was to not have separate apps for everything we do in our life. We didn't want to open an app to unlock our door. Didn't want to open a different app to turn on the lights, a different app to turn on music. We wanted one unified way of doing that. And that told us that we needed to build a platform with a good user experience, something that we would want to use. And we knew early on that we weren't, there's no one company that will manufacture every device that a customer might want to use in their home. And that drove us to the story of open. Like we, we really believe that to be a successful platform today, you need to be open to allowing any type of device to work on the platform. Anything that customers want to bring to the platform, we need to find a way to support that. And that's where the power comes from in the platform, yeah, is that you, openness. When you guys are still pretty unique in that regard, right? I mean, that's, that's still kind of a, I mean, particularly in, the, in this space of what you guys do with home automation, is, is, is that kind of openness really still kind of uncommon? Or I think uh, there are flavors of it everywhere because yeah. people understand that 
it's an important aspect, but I think that we go the deepest in that area, you know? And so along those lines, simple things, like there were two competing low energy protocols for yeah. interacting with home automation devices, Zigbee and Z-Wave. We made a decision early on to support both protocols. And that means we have two radios in our gateway hub so that customers don't have to know if they need to, if, if they go to the store and they want to buy a motion sensor or a door lock or a camera, they don't need to know if it's Zigbee or Z-Wave because ultimately customers don't care about what the underlying protocol is. They just want to know that it'll work. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's, that's so, that goes back to the customer connection you're talking about. You guys are, you had to put in more work, you had to invest more, but then you, you end up having a, a better connection to your customers because you're taking that off their plate. They don't have to worry about it. Right, that's the goal, is to make it super easy for customers to connect with smart things, to get going. You know, one of the things, even early on, we always talked about is, how do we provide value to the customer regardless of whether they bought any of our devices, Yeah. right? And so, similarly, how do we take from unboxing to wow in as short a time as possible? Yeah, no, I like that. How long ago were you guys acquired by Samsung? It's been a few years now, right? So. Yeah, that I believe was in 2014. Okay. Just, yep. Well, that's, that was pretty quick from inception to being acquired. It was pretty quick. It was yeah. pretty quick. Yeah, it was great. It was a great success story. And, and I, was, I assume that's, that's kind of unlocked a lot of opportunities for you guys as well, because now you're part of a bigger company. You it can certainly invest has. More. It certainly has. The scale and power of Samsung is an amazing thing to see. And yeah. to have, to be able to work with the teams that build the TVs and refrigerators and appliances, I think, allows us to make sure that we can expose all of the features that customers want to automate in a way that makes sense to them. And at the same time, we are always trying to be cognizant that we're doing it in a standardized way, not a Samsung-specific way, because yeah. even though we're acquired by Samsung, we, as well as Samsung more broadly, also believe in the, the power of an open platform. They understand that consumers won't buy only Samsung devices. and so. The value of smart things goes down if we don't work with any device that a customer wants. And that means that other manufacturers of home appliances, we also want to integrate and work with them as well, not just a Samsung fridge. Yeah, still, even as you say that, I mean, that's really great to hear that that's a, that's a priority for you guys, because it, it still feels like we have a lot of walled gardens. You know, I mean, I, there I, are a lot of walled gardens I think around. I probably live in one, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, and when, when you were and I were talking about what we would talk through, one of the things I thought it was really great how you were talking about, I mean, you guys are pulling in massive amounts of data from these, all these devices out there. I mean, it's just, just a lot of things happening, a lot of different, you know, let's call it telemetry, but a lot of different measurements. But you, you were saying, like, customers really don't care on, that, that's not what they're thinking about. They're, they're not thinking about, oh, it sent this bit here, it, it sent this message here. They're thinking about, is somebody in my house? Is you know, is doors being opened? I mean, how, how do you guys think about that from a well, overall perspective? You're you're exactly right. That customers ultimately don't care about what it takes for us to be able to provide to them what it is they care about, right? But obviously, we do, right? Yeah. And, and so many of the devices send a lot of information, not just you know the two cases that you mentioned, motion sensors and door sensors. You know, they don't just send door open, door close events, every couple minutes they also send in a health check message saying, 
I'm here, I'm on the network, here's what I know about myself, the door is currently closed. You know? and so if you think about your general day to day, most people will get ready for work, leave for work, be gone for eight or 10 hours, come home. That sensor isn't sending any open closed data, hopefully, during yeah. that time. <laughs> right, right. But it's, it's constantly sending in data. So we have a massive amount of device information coming into the platform every second that isn't necessarily actionable to users, but it's still important to make sure that you know, we, we think of ourselves as being, we live in an eventually consistent world where our cloud representation of the device is delayed in some way. Yeah. Because it takes time for that message to get from the device yeah. to us. And ideally, that's a very small amount of time, but it's non-zero. And so we are constantly thinking about how do we make sure that those devices are connected and healthy, that their batteries are in a good state, so that we can give that information to customers as well. Because as you mentioned, the customers don't care that their motion detector is sending messages, but they really do care that it's working. So we have a lot of data that we try to make use of as a secondary or, or tertiary way, but present that to customers in a way that tells them just what they need to know. There is currently no motion in your house. Right? Yeah. Because ultimately that's what people want to know. They want to know that I came downstairs in the morning and the lights turned on because I had an automation set up. Or I'm gone from work and my doors are locked but there's motion in my house. Mm. Was that something weird with the sunlight and the trees outside causing the shadows to move? Or was that my dog moving or something else, right? And so I think understanding how that data, how to parse that data in a way that's useful for consumers is really what we focus on. And what have you found to be hard with that? Because I mean, honestly, the way you describe it, that sounds really hard. <laughs> well, it's, it's a matter of like all the things that make big data hard in general. It's yeah. the volume, the velocity, the variety of, of that data, like how quickly is it coming in? How much do we, do we take in? How can we determine earlier in the workflow what's an important event and what's a, an unimportant event so that we can make a better decision about routing that data to, yes, there is an automation that a person has set up for this, like there's motion, send me an alert because I'm not home, or there's motion and there hasn't been all night and that means that the house is waking up and so it's time to kick off the morning routine. I guess the hardest part is, is really that. It's, it's how quickly the data comes in and just how much we have. Once we, once we can make those decisions around what's important information, what's not, then we get into the realm of like, well, how do we make sure that that's useful for customers and, and driving what they're looking for. Well, you know, in, in particular in that case, I'm 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 thinking back to when I when I was messing with this stuff years ago, where I would I would connect and monitor devices, and um, I was playing around with it. And I, I don't I'm not sure anybody else would have thought that was particularly useful. <laughs> you know, if I was telling my you know then girlfriend now wife about it, she's like, yeah, that's great, Ben. Um, <laughs> but well, it's funny. But in in the early days, before we knew that smart things would become a thing, and and we were doing some proof of concept work, I remember. The first time I was able to get a light to turn on, and I was telling my wife, 
how excited, like how excited I was. And she was sitting on the couch and she just reached over and she said, you know, Scott, I can turn the light on from right here too, right? And she flipped the switch. And then that, that helped, uh, you know, bring me back to, uh, it's more than just that. But I was still very excited because it was proving out the plumbing that yeah, would turn yeah, into yeah. all of this other automation stuff. Well, I, well it, I mean, that gets back to like kind of one of those, those core things, which I thought it interesting about how you relate to data because... Geeks like us, honestly, like it's it's fun to the creation process. It's fun saying I I connected these pieces of you know this these things together and I made something happen. I mean that's exciting, but the reality is most people in the world it actually has to solve a problem for them, you know. And Absolutely. It, and I, I'm I'm sure that's that's been a problem for home automation all along because yeah, it's great that you know you can turn on lights and stuff like that, but why, you know, why? Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the keys, especially in the early days of SmartThings, is really understanding how do we convey that message to potential consumers? Like, what can you do and why does it matter, right? right. A lot of people didn't know that they wanted to automate their lights, for example, because they've lived their entire lives flipping switches on. Right. And one of the memories that stands out for myself is one day my wife asked about a motion sensor that I had in the basement because I live in a hundred year old house where yeah. the light switches aren't where you would normally put them. Like <laughs> in the basement where our laundry is, the yeah. light switch is only at the bottom of the steps, not at the top of the steps. Oh, interesting. Yes. And so I, I, one of the first use cases that I built out in my own house, just dog fooding it was when there's motion on the stairs, turn on the basement light. When there's no motion in the basement at all for five minutes, turn it back off. And one day I came home from work and my wife was asking me about it and a battery had gone dead in one of the sensors. And she told me that she realized for the first time that she had become to rely on that automation without even noticing it. And related to the earlier story, you know, about being able to turn the light on herself, when the light didn't turn on for her, as she walked into the basement, took two steps in darkness, that's when she realized that she hadn't turned that light on by hand in months, right? And it sort of snuck up on her. And when the battery went dead in that motion sensor, that's what really triggered for her. She's like, I get it now. Like, I see how this can be useful in a, in a subtle but pervasive way, right? And it's, it's simple use cases. Like I said, I, that a lot of people didn't think they cared about automating. I, in my house, I have, you know, I have two young kids and we're in a two-story house, and when I'm the first one up in the morning, when I go downstairs, I have it turn on the downstairs lights. We'll make sure that the upstairs lights don't turn on because I don't want my kids to get up any earlier than they have to. <laughs> right? uh, yeah, I hear you on that. <laughs> and it's, it's those sorts of things that once you get used to it, people start to see the value and how that can move into other areas of their lives. For example, I have, I have friends who automate their door locks. You know, I have some people who find it terrifying to think about automating their door locks, but yeah. I have friends who, when they come home, it unlocks the door, and when everybody in their house leaves, it will make sure that they're locked. And it, it's those sorts of things also. So my friend has said he hasn't carried keys in years now, because like house key, for that reason. Yeah. No, that's... That is really interesting because I, I, that's the trick, right? Is it, like you said, making it so pervasive that and and it and it means different things to different people. Yeah. So as we talk about like whether it's locks or lighting, we talk about to me it, like lighting, for example, seems like a convenience. Right? Yeah. But when you're talking about it being in a dark basement where the stairs are dark, 
there's also a safety aspect to that, right? And then having it automatically turn off after five minutes of inactivity, that gets into cost savings. And so like they're, they're all sort of wrapped together, but different people come to SmartThings for different reasons. A lot of the same use cases, but for different reasons. You know, you know one question comes to mind to me. What, what's one of the most interesting use cases you've found of people actually you know, taking advantage of home automation? In the same way that different people come to SmartThings for different reasons, what different people find interesting varies a lot. So we have <laughs> examples of people using a sensor on the gate of the fence around their swimming pool in California to alert anytime it opens so they make sure that their kids aren't going into the pool yeah, unattended. Yeah, yeah. We have people who use those same sensors to alert anytime the cabinets under sink are open to so make sure that their young kids aren't getting into Drano or whatever, right, whatever right. you have under there. And we have people who obviously for home like smart home security cases, if there's motion, grab a video clip with my camera and send me a text message so I can see it. So I understand mm. who just came into my house if I'm yeah. not there. To more fun ones where we early on did a video of a Rube Goldberg machine that, you know, just a series of ridiculous things that kicked one automation off on, into the next. And then we have people in the community. One person had a fancy scotch cabinet with lighting under the shelves. And as he walked up to it, the lighting would come up and you would hear, ah. <laughs> and as you as you walked back, the lights would slowly dim again. Right? And so, That's fantastic. Uh, and we have a number of people who will share videos of their Halloween setups, right? Yeah. Smart things. Whether it's something opening or motion or proximity to the door or what have you. That's it. I bet you can make some pretty cool <laughs> Halloween things with this. <laughs> You got my mind racing now. Like, hmm. <laughs> when I guess that's partly what makes it sticky, right? Is that, you know, not only are people doing those like core things, but they can let their minds wander and they can do some really interesting things that, you know, makes them a big fan. Yeah, that's one of the things that is really rewarding is that it touches on what smart things offer is touches on what people want to do in their lives for real reasons, but then it also allows people to play. Anytime you can do both of those things, I think it's super fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. One thing we talked about, too, when we were, uh, some things we might talk about, was, you know, in some sense, not, not only, you know, it's back to the, the safety thing there as well. You guys have a different position than perhaps some other technology vendors do. Is that You are literally in people's houses. You are in their safe space. You are in their personal space. You're collecting data about their personal space. You're, you're even protecting their personal space on some level, right? Well, you definitely are. So how does that change how you think about the dating, how you think about privacy, and how you think about what you guys are doing as a company when in that regard? Yeah, we take uh, data privacy very seriously, obviously. Like you said, people are inviting us into their homes. Yeah. And that's, it, it puts us in a privileged position in that relationship and that we care a lot about making sure that we're doing what's right by them, doing what they want, right? And making, so data privacy is super important because we have information about, maybe not direct information, but you could make a reasonable assessment about whether people are home or not, for example. And so that's something that means a lot to us because as someone with young kids, it matters to me that I trust the companies that have data about me or my family or or my home life. And so 
And we, we believe that customers own their own data and we use it in a way that is ultimately working toward their desires and, and goals. And generally that's automation use cases. Some people just want, for example, temperature data just to understand what their house looks like. That's not particularly uh, sacred data, but as far as we're concerned, it's, it's sensor data nonetheless. And so like, we make sure that we're protecting our, our customers to the best of our ability. Well, I guess like you were saying, what, what's interesting to different people is going to be different according to different people. I would assume what's important and private to them is going to be just as, as unique. Absolutely right. We, we don't know what that temperature data is used for, but it, there may be people who don't want that information leaking out for one reason or another. And that's not for us to say it's their data. And so we treat all of that data the same way. I would expect too, you know, when we were talking about you, it's very important for you guys to be an open system. And I would expect that that's probably a pretty important part of your brand identity too. Is that, you know, because people are trusting you as a brand. Certainly. Yeah. That, um, so, I, so I guess to kind of, you know, put a bow on it, wrap up here. What, so what, what's, what's next? I mean, what, where, where, where are you thinking about next as, as you know, far what you're doing, what the company's doing? Bringing it all the way back to where we started, our goal is to focus on making sure that we're delivering value for our customers yeah. in whatever way that means to them. Right. So that the first part of the company's history, we focused a lot on home automation use cases because it was a, a growing industry and that's what people wanted to do. Now we're sort of being pulled into the smart home security space because people want to have cameras. They want to automate them. They don't always want to be streaming that camera data 24-7. They maybe only want to do it when they're not home, right? And so we're, we're, pulling, we're getting pulled into the smart home security space and, and we have a vision that goes beyond that as well for IoT and making sure that, again, it's being driven by value to customers and what they desire. Yeah, well, that, no, that makes a lot of sense. Well, this was a lot of fun. I think what you guys are doing is, is really exciting and I mean, it's, it's a pretty amazing story. So I, I wish you guys a, a, a lot of luck and as you continue to grow. So that, I thank you, thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Okay, that's a wrap. Masters of Data is brought to you by Sumo Logic. SumoLogic is a cloud-native machine data analytics platform delivering real-time continuous intelligence as a service to build, run, and secure modern applications. SumoLogic empowers the people who power modern business. For more information, go to sumologic.com. For more on Masters of Data, go to mastersofdata.com and subscribe. And spread the word by rating us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app.